You're listening to A Not-So-Private Practice, and we are your hosts, Steph and Laura. Consider this your backstage pass to all the weird and wonderful things that happen behind the curtain of group practice ownership. So today we're here with Amanda, one of our longest reigning independent contractors and captain of the Shoreline Friendship Club, to talk a bit about her experience of being an independent contractor. Laura, when you say Friendship Club, tell us a little more about what you mean. Well, my understanding is there comes a special moment in the journey of every intern and fellow where Amanda officially inaugurates them into some kind of friendship with her. What we've learned from recording this podcast is that Laura doesn't always get these stories totally accurately. So Amanda, I'm just wondering if you could clarify for our listeners a little bit about the process of being integrated into the Shoreline Friendship Club. Well, honestly, I didn't even know it had a name. So this is news to me. (laughs) Uh, And I am happy to be captain or president or whatever that might be. It is true that there's been some relationships, uh, more a consultation relationship is where it started with one of my colleagues, and she was happy that the consultation relationship was over so that we could begin our official friendship. And so in response to that, I gave her a card that said, welcome to our friendship and invited her to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So today we have Amanda here to talk about being an independent contractor and captain of the Shoreline Friendship Club. Let's get into it. So welcome again to Amanda. Amanda was our first official fellow that we hired when we very first opened Shoreline Counseling four years ago. So Amanda, tell us a bit about why work in a group practice rather than going solo. Yeah, it's interesting because my answer to this question has evolved over the years and it hasn't at the same time. So I always think about even the fellowship as a first step. I was talking to a supervisor in grad school telling him about the opportunity. And for any of the listeners that don't know, like the fellowship is sort of a second year internship where you get ongoing weekly clinical supervision, training support, some funding for professional development. So the the supervisor that I had was like, Amanda, honestly, you could just hang out a shingle as soon as you're done school and you'll be just fine. Mm. And he's like, you know, so many people do it. and, And honestly, you've got the skills, you can do it. Yeah. And I said, sure. But, you know, this idea of creating a more steady, more solid foundation for myself through ongoing clinical development and really just leaning into the mentorship and guidance was something that I felt would lead to a more sustainable practice. Hmm. So he says, like... And and I remember the words exactly. He said, you know what? Only the most ethical therapists would pursue something like that. Mm-hmm. And I still remember to this day him saying that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, then that's that aligns with why I want to do it, mm-hmm. is really getting a sense of myself as a therapist. And so that kind of leads into the associate piece as well. It's not only the fellowship, but being part of a group practice, especially as a new therapist, when you have so much to learn clinically, that you can let other people take the reins on the business side of things. Mm-hmm. So I think, does that answer? Yeah, it does. But I mean, now you're you're three years into your associateship with us. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, what's stopping you from 
picking up and hanging your shingle now with all of the training and experience that you have, what keeps you what keeps you yeah. in the group? Yeah, I think well, what I have been able to do is a two year post grad certificate program, a somatic attachment training, as well as an additional year of advanced training. So I've I've pursued a lot of training opportunities. I also recently got on as associate faculty with City U in the mm. Master of Counseling program, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. Mm-hmm. They're doing lots outside of Shoreline. Yeah. 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 I'm dipping my toe into writing soon. Oh, cool. And I honestly don't think that I would have had the space or capacity if I was really caught up in the business side. Uh-huh. Right, right. Okay. It offers you this opportunity to do the clinical work that you want to do and also use the rest of the time to do the other things that you're passionate about doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the most annoying things about working in a group practice? Um, I mean, more so the funny part is sharing an office. Yes. Yeah. Tell, uh, us, tell us more. <laughs> well, I think I am one of the more storied, you know, office sharing legends. My chair has random chunks taken out of the arms. (laughs) I've had, you know, things go missing. Somebody ate my chocolate, which I know the two of you are very familiar with. Yes. Biggest biggest pet peeve of being in a group practice. An unsolved, current unsolved mystery. Unsolved mystery. Who's eating all the chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. I had something that somebody thought was garbage or recycling and threw out, but it actually contained a gift from a client. I was a little bit devastated about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like sharing the space. Mm -hmm. It is not your own space. And that's true for, you know, whether it's a group practice or a multi-use space. Mm. I mean, I think as a solo practitioner, you're not necessarily going to have your own dedicated space. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's the the reality of the work and the and the sector. Yeah. And I see you being one of the m- most intentional people in the practice in terms of really going out and connecting with current contractors and anyone new because she's the captain of the Shoreline Friendship Club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's part of my exactly. official or unofficial <laughs> yes. role. Yes. And I just assume that there's something about that that's either your nature or that gives you some kind of meaning, joy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this this kind of goes back to the first question of why group practice. I spent 17 years in frontline police-based victim services response, and that was very much a team dynamic. Mm. And so the thought when I was in grad school of just going off on my own Mm -hmm. and then there you are was kind of terrifying. Mm -hmm. I've always worked in a team and and Mm -hmm. really thrived in team settings. So I think that is really connected to what you're saying, Laura, about Mm -hmm. really making connections throughout, whether that's interns, fellows, or other associates or staff. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like anything. You know, it's like when we make these decisions to position ourselves in certain places, there are going to be the annoyances and the inconveniences. And then there are the things that make those annoyances more worthwhile. Totally. But it certainly is a balance of like, what what is the value and and what is the um, trade-off, I guess. I think the conversation, and I mean... This this may or may not sort of fit with what the listeners want to hear, especially people that are associates. I think you have to have part of the conversation where the cost comes in, mm-hmm. sure, right? Of course. And I think that's a conversation that I've had with a lot of people and said, similarly, in terms of the things that I've been able to pursue, 
I've also been able to see my clients, focus on my clients and myself as a therapist and not focus on the business side of things or not get a phone call when the elevator is broken or Mm -hmm. whenever you get those phone calls, the two of you. I would imagine for every clinical hour, you spend an equivalent hour or more right. on the business side of things. Right. Yeah. Can you can you speak a bit more to when you talk about the cost? You're talking about the financial cost. Yeah. Like can you speak a bit co- more? Commission and rent yep. is a portion. So when I look at the end of the month, it's like, here's what I've billed and here's what I'm taking home. There is a difference, mm-hmm. but the assessment is, what is the value I'm getting for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most of that, I think of it as like an investment in myself and my free time, to be mm-hmm. honest. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, again, I think to look at it just like very one-sided as being, you know, do I spend this money or do I not? That's uh, like not the whole picture. Yeah. Right? Too narrow. Yeah. Yeah. But is what what is the quality of life that I want? And in Mm -hmm. this season of life, what do I need in order to keep this career sustainable? And, you know, going back to your point, like, why not hang a shingle now? And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's not a possibility down the road, mm-hmm. but it's still at this point in my life. It's like I'm pursuing all these other personal and professional interests. Mm-hmm. My gardening is, mm-hmm. you know, pretty, uh, it's got it's its, made it into the podcast already. Has your it? Gardening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the eggplant. Yeah, the eggplant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could talk about your 2.3 kilogram <laughs> tomato. That your garden oh, birthed this yeah, weekend. Last week. Wow. Yeah. I haven't heard about it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'll show you. If <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't have time to grow 2.3 yeah. kilogram uh, tomatoes. Yeah. Huh. And uh, like I said, I think it really is worth a look when people are thinking, oh, that's a lot to spend on rent or commission or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to think about their quality of life. I've heard a little rumor that You've been telling people that our commission and rent split is the best deal in town. (laughs) (laughs) A rumor. (laughs) It is actually. And I've run the numbers several times. Yeah. Yeah. It it varies so much across the board. Most often what I've found just like anecdotally from seeing what people put out there is commission and rent together as one cost. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, what I hear most is the 70-30 split, 60-40 split. And our setup is different. And yeah. by and large, when I run the numbers, like the way that you all have set up the business, it's it's more beneficial for the contractor than it is for the business. Yes. So yeah, Laura, let's take a minute just maybe to talk a bit about what Amanda's saying, because, you know, we know we're not getting rich from mm-hmm. this practice, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we did set up this pay structure really intentionally. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think anyone in private practice, even in a group practice, ought to feel that one of the benefits of paying however they pay their commission is that they have maximum independence to run their practice how they want, to engage in other things like Amanda's been talking about, other Mm -hmm. interests, trainings, um, ways of making money. And so we have tried to set it up so that uh, they essentially come do their clinical hours and that's it. That's right. that's what's asked of them. Right. And I mean, we set it up that way because that's what we wanted. Yes. Right. And though we have the obligations of running the business and all of the things that, you know, we have voluntarily married ourselves to, mm-hmm. we also have total control over our own schedules and our own lives and the projects we take on. And we wanted people who work in our community to feel 
as though that even though they work in the community, they work with us as contractors, that they have that also. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you and I often say to each other is that group practice ought to have the benefits of solo practice plus more. Yeah. Yeah. To be like a solo practitioner, but better. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I think it's a big part of the recipe that keeps our people in our community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Amanda, we often hear from GPOs that the greatest, their greatest challenges come from conflict with their independent contractors. Mm. Over the years, the three of us, we have negotiated a number of different challenges together. It has been hard at times for all of us. And from our perspective, it has really forced us to reflect. And these experiences that we've navigated with you have been some of the greatest learning sources of and sources of growth for us as As, group practice owners. Yeah. And so from your perspective, Amanda, what do you think is required on behalf of the owners and the contractors to make the relationship work? Hmm. You know, I think the what you're saying is so true. And and seeing you both put sort of the the blood, sweat, tears, and time that you have into it and coming on again with kind of a host of administrative skills and a desire to support the growth of the business. I guess the first thing is just role clarity. I think Mm. that's where we've kind of hit a few different bumps Mm -hmm. in the road. And so role clarity, number one, and then attached to that is transparency. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've been pretty good about saying, whether it's on your side or mine, hey, we didn't anticipate this, or hey, this Mm -hmm. was my expectation, or hey, this Mm -hmm. was hard. How do we navigate this? Mm Mm-hmm. At least that's how I feel like there's the role clarity and the transparency kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think about how we have attempted to provide role clarity and then collectively have realized this is not actually clear enough yeah, right, or yeah. what we initially set out to do. And so there's been this sort of transparent disclosure from one or all three of us like, oh, this isn't working. We need to really redefine yeah. things yeah, again. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and we we've learned over the years, you know, that transparency is such a priority and a value for us, almost maybe sometimes too transparent, Mm. you know, where we want to make sure that it's clear that if we don't know what what we're doing or if we're not that clear that everyone around us knows that too, you know, Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. there's no pretense, yeah, you know, that we have some sort of secret idea or master plan or something like that, right? Right. Oftentimes we're like, we don't know. We have no idea. Come along with us. Diving in. Please. We hope. And also we probably messed that up. So can you come again with us another time? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think those are two, you know, really the the top pieces for Mm -hmm. me. And I think flexibility, and I think this kind of goes back to sort of the, just you're in a group of folks right. that mm-hmm. from work right. from all different lenses and have lots of different things to contribute. And that is both challenging and it's also what the work is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> not just being around people that are completely like-minded. Totally. <laughs> um, so I I don't know if that necessarily answers the sort of like struggle between group practice owners and independent contractors, but I do think it's, yeah, it's that open-mindedness, that that flexibility yeah. and that willingness to like, we're not all the same person or we don't yeah. all come from the same place as far as our therapeutic work, but we're all in this together. Yeah. Well, and you have been so persistently gracious with us as we come up to, to our... Say. 
edges and need to redefine, pivot, shift. And the other thing I really appreciate about you, Amanda, is you're so clear when there's a concern that you have. You find a moment to very intentionally let us know about what is or is not working or what needs a correction of some kind. Yeah. And those are such like humbling and good learning moments for us, you know, and I think that the sense that I get, you know, on this question of conflict between the ICs and the contractor and the group practice owners is that there isn't always that like willingness to be humble or to admit that the, you know, on the the group practice owner and on the contractor's Mm. end, Mm. that something has gone Awry. Awry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that to me, you know, as you speak about it, I'm like, yeah, these are the limiting obstacles that create conflict. Yeah. You know, in these relationships. I just think it's tempting to imagine that uh, you have one position, we have another. And I mean, you globally, independent contractor and us globally owner. And somehow we have to work despite having very different views. I think it's tempting to kind of separate ourselves more than is needed. Mm. I mean, we talk about it a lot as like working with our contractors and not against them. Yes. Right? That coming from a place of like, what is similar? You know, it's like, you know, we both have these like financial responsibilities in our lives. We both have this longing for community. There's like a lot of places where the experience of being in group practice is similar. And as group practice owners, you know, we have a greater responsibility for holding the infrastructure of the practice. But outside of that, the truth is, is that there's a lot more similarity than there's differences. Yeah. And when we can come from a place where we can hold the truth of that and Mm. see our contractors and see our job as to work with them and not to be against them because their needs and our needs are so different, Mm -hmm. you know, we find that there's a lot more harmony. Yeah. You know. Well, and I think that, I mean, that kind of circles back to the transparency piece and, and the ability to say, and I appreciate what you said about being intentional and mm. raising concerns when they come up because, you know, it it would be really hard for me to sit with clients and say, you need to tell people what's going on for you um, mm. and like in safety, share your feelings mm-hmm. and not hold myself accountable to the same thing. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think as group practice owners, you should never be surprised about how anyone feels, or you might be surprised, but you should never not know. Mm -hmm. Like for, if you had a contractor that was like, okay, I'm leaving, bye. I'm going to take my Uh practice elsewhere. And you had no idea, Uh like something's gotten, something's gone wrong there. And whether that's, they haven't shared or there's something on, on the other end. I don't know. I, I just don't see it happening in within our space, but, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, it's two-sided, right? Like I need to, I need to speak up. Yeah. Yeah. And right. it's it's the I mean it's the courageous work of the contractors and the humbling yes. work of the owners, you yeah, know, because of this said. this power yeah. differential yes. that exists well, that yes. we are we are not ignorant to. Right. It's you know? like how to find that balance of not pretending the power dynamic away because yeah. it's there, it's there, it's a reality while leaning into our own humanity and vulnerability so that we lessen the risk of there being some kind of us and them dynamic totally. in the space. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking again about what you said, Steph, about working with, not against, and how we are all, of course, more similar than we are different as owners and contractors. We all need money. We all need connection and community. We're all looking for work 
that is meaningful and to do that in a context that is nourishing for Mm -hmm. each of us, which brings to mind this book I read on hospitality. I think it's called Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. He has quite a restaurant empire, has been wildly successful in that industry. And a lot of the book is on how he creates this culture of hospitality in his restaurants where people feel welcomed in almost as if they're walking into a home or a living room kind of space where they can really relax, unwind, and take their time. Mm. There's no sort of uh, Mm. container around what they ought to do with their time or no rush to leave. And so there's this settling in that people experience in his restaurants, which is sort of the like tangible and intangible quality that's made him so successful. And as sort of independent contractor, it feels like there's this freedom to just be part of this, whether that's for three years or five years or 15 years. You know, my thought isn't fully developed, but I think about it like both in the moment, in the sort of like felt sense of the space, but also in the larger picture. Yeah, I mean, I think it's never our intent to grip our contractors Mm. to try to hang on to them for longer than they want to, yeah. or then their sort of path is meant to intersect with ours. I mean, our, so, our goal is never to grip them. Never to grip them. No gripping. <laughs> no gripping. <laughs> Literally or metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> but yes, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And like a good restaurant, you know, it's like if you're going to show up just the one time and have a memorable experience or whether you're going to be a regular. Totally. Yeah. And like a good chef mm. and their sous chef you know, their sous chef might go out and work at a different restaurant, but you can know that you have, you know, made a mark on somebody that's out in the field or, Mm. you know, you just, you know that there's people out there that you trust explicitly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess when all is said and done, our goal as group practice owners is to make our group practice as good as being a solo practitioner, but better. Thanks again to Amanda for being here today and sharing uh, some of her experience and her insights and her wisdom with us. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to A Not-So-Private Practice. Please be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and throw down a review if you are enjoying the show as it helps other listeners find us. In real life, you can find Laura and Steph at www.anotsoprivatepractice.ca. A special thanks and shout out to Podfather Creative for producing and editing this episode.